substitute. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Chris, I know. What a blessing. Um, love that song. Your Bible's open to 1 Timothy. We obviously were in our doing the pastorly epistles, and so I want you to turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. And I'll read beginning at verse... Uh, I'll pick back up in chapter 1 and pick up at verse 18. 1 Timothy, we're doing the pastorly epistles, and obviously we'll be doing this for the rest of the year. Uh, hopefully I can finish 1 Timothy, Titus, and then 2 Timothy by, by December. Hopefully I can. The handout that you have uh, on the back, obviously the answer... If you read the acrostic, it's mediator. So today, obviously, we want to, we're going to pick up and focus in on chapter 2, verse 5, because it tells us there that there's only one mediator between God and man. Now, folks, let me go ahead and chase a rabbit. I've lived long enough and even in a holiday weekend crowd like here today, there is somebody here more than likely that's trusting baptism to save them. They're trusting maybe good works. Maybe they're trusting being a family member. Maybe you have a distant relative that was a preacher and you think because you have a great uncle or an uncle or a parent that was a preacher or a missionary that makes you a Christian. Folks, the Bible specifically says salvation comes only through who? Jesus Christ. And so what Paul's going to tell Timothy, and obviously the reason I had Robbie read out of... Now just think theologically, think biblically. Put your First Timothy, Paul's writing to Timothy, obviously. Timothy's the pastor. Where is Timothy the pastor at? Ephesus. So therefore... All this doctrine that, and especially the first three or four chapters of Ephesians, is full of doctrine. Matter of fact, it's probably the richest doctrinal book outside of Romans in the New Testament. And so the church at Ephesus had all these doctrinal truths that they'd been taught by Paul, and he had sent that letter a few years before he wrote 1 Timothy. So... The false teachers that we learned about in chapter 1 that Paul told Timothy to challenge and to correct, obviously they had scandalized doctrinal truth. And obviously it's the doctrine of salvation. We call it soteriology. That's the doctrine of salvation. And so these false teachers, obviously one of the things they were doing was corrupting the truth about salvation. And we know one of the things they were telling people that you have to be Jewish in your lifestyle to keep your salvation. Now, that's not something we preach today, but people do preach good works. That it's great to know Jesus, but you have to work for your salvation. Or they preach baptismal regeneration. They preach that it's great to know Jesus, but if you've never been baptized, you're not saved. So people for 2,000 years have added something to the message of the gospel. And one thing specifically Paul's going to say is there's only one mediator between God and man. And we'll, we'll walk through the handout in just a second. I'm in chapter 1, verse 17. It says, To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God. And by the way, if the Bible's true, 
and God the Father is invisible. Has anybody ever seen God the Father? What is the answer to that? No. Am I right? Is that what this... But He has revealed Himself in human form, and God revealed Himself, and the Son of God is Christ Jesus. That's how we know God the Father, through Christ. To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge, and that's, you go back and read the first 15 verses, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Now, he's been called to preach, gifted to preach. That's been testified by not only the apostles, but by the church. And so Paul's just reminding him, who, who is responsible? Who's the shepherd of the flock at Ephesus that's going to have to confront these false teachers and teach right doctrine? Who's responsible for that? Well, Timothy was. And of course, here I am. So folks, in, in church, one day I'm not going to be here. And some of you want that to be tomorrow, but so, tough. So, so when you replace me and you find another pastor, you ha- doctrine is a big deal. What they believe about the Bible. They don't need to be a good storyteller. They need to love the Bible and preach the Bible, right? And that's very unusual in our days. Very few pulpits believe what we call expositional preaching, believe in teaching what the Bible has to say. But let's move on. Holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwrecked of their faith, among whom are Hymenius and Alexander, Paul mentions Hymenius a second time, among whom are Hymenius and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Now, he do, Paul doesn't have the authority to condemn them to hell. That's not what he's doing. But he believes these two men are saved, but they're teaching false truths. And so it's a church discipline thing. So he's, they've been removed from the fellowship of the church. It's church discipline. Matthew 18. And 1 Corinthians teaches us this. And so... So they're out, and of course it's a world that we can't see, but this spiritual world where they're out from underneath the, the beauty of being in the body and fellowshipping with the unity of the faith and the bonds of peace, somehow God in His sovereign plan strengthens us and protects us while we're part of the body. And so they've been set out uh, as an as a act of discipline. And so they're kind of handed over to Satan and more susceptible to his temptation. We move on, chapter 2, verse 1. And again, remember, when Paul's writing this, he doesn't stop and say, 1 Timothy, chapter 2. He, you know. So, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. By the way... Uh, when we teach on the doctrine of prayer, and that's one of my plans uh, this year on Wednesday nights down the road, this is a pivotal verse, pivotal verse for teaching on the doctrine of prayer because it tells us four modes right there in verse 1. It teaches four purposes or modes of prayer. You know, we intercede. We have supplications, intercession, prayers of thanksgiving. 
So he says, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful, peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Isn't that interesting? God our Savior. Who authored the plan of salvation? You can answer this out loud. Who, who authored? It's God the Father planned salvation. We know from what, even what uh, Robbie read, we know from other passages in the Scripture that this is before time ever began that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit planned the work of redemption, the work of salvation. So none of the events of biblical history, when you read the Bible, even from Genesis 1-1, none of that caught God by surprise. So salvation is the plan of God and is... It's authored by Him. And literally, when you read the New Testament, salvation is owned by God. It is His salvation. Well, it reminds us, if He owns it and He distributes it through Christ, can you lose it? No. Can He take it away? No. He says He won't. Because His salvation comes because His Son gave His life. So if you got saved and then He took it away from you, what would be the merits of Christ if you could do something to lose it? Does that not make sense to you? So it's meritorious only because Christ did it. So why would God the Father sacrifice His Son? You come to Him, but every time you send Him, snatch that salvation away from you. That's ludicrous. It would make Christ's salvation in you to no effect. That means every time you sin, you would lose it. And we, and we know that's just not true. Well, let me go back to verse 2. For kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Uh, by the way, godly is talking about your internal life, your spiritual life is godlike. We might use also the word righteous or sanctification. That could also be synonymous with what we're talking about. And then he says dignified in every way. Dignified is, uh, if you have a study Bible, I know MacArthur does a good job of pointing this out. It's talking about your public life. Dignified, not that you're a highbrow and you wear expensive clothing. That's not what the word. It's talking about your public spiritual life. Is spiritually your polish, so to speak. You you present the, the truth about Christ in an honorable way. So it's your public life is honorable. I mean, you uh, as Paul would say to the Ephesians in, in Ephesians four one, you actually walk worthy of your calling. Ephesians four one. So you're. You're godly, and then you're dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave Himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. I mean, you understood that when you came to Christ by faith. You understand, when you got saved, you understood that truth. It, you understood that revelation that He redeemed you. He paid the ransom price for you. And that was a testimony given at the proper time. 
For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Now let me just say, this has nothing to do with your posture. Right? It's not telling men that every time you pray, this is how you pray. He's already been talking about, even when you get to chapter 3 and he deals with deacons and elders, and deacons. He doesn't talk about uh, their, their exterior duties. He talks about their qualifications on the inside. He, he's talking about character. When you, when you pray, you know, the effectual fervent prayer, James says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth what? Much. He's talking about in, etern, in, internal. Your internal life needs to be a life of righteousness and holy. Clean hands, so to speak. Holy hands. So he says, uh, I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also, that women should adorn themselves. That should give you an idea of the context. That women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel. With modesty, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. What in the world is a mediator? You know, obviously we love the doctrine of, of salvation, and, and this is, you know, there's three or four words we use that are in the field of the doctrine of Christ being our mediator. One, when we read one, one would be that Christ is our ransom, right? Ransom is the price that is paid, right? The, the ransom uh, is the pr- payment that's made to buy something. And so Christ paid the price to bring us out of the slave market of sin. We were in the Bible, it's just like the Jews were released from captivity. We were in bondage to sin and, and, the, and we were there because of sin and the wage of sin is death and judgment and so somebody had to pay a price, a ransom price and Christ is the one that paid that price. And so along with the doctrine of being a mediator, Christ ransomed us. Another word you find very often with the idea of Christ being our mediator is the word redemption. Uh, redemption is the act that you would go through to buy it back. And I've used this illustration numerous times over the course of 25 years. But I can remember when I would go spend my summers with my grandmama, grandparents in in Fairhope. And who doesn't want to spend summers in Fairhope if you've ever been to Fairhope? And my grandmother would be, there's a little grocery store in Fairhope uh, in those days, back in a long time ago, back when there was, you know, you know, wasn't any cars and there's no... We had an outhouse. I'm just making all that up. But anyway, so you, she used to go to a store called Greer's. Greer's Grocery Store. And this is what she'd say, or there was a Dale chance. And she would say, Bryce, you want to go with me? I'm going to go to the grocery store. And this, I was a little boy, so I had no idea what she was talking about. To redeem some groceries. That's the word she would use. I'm going to go redeem some groceries. Now, for a 9, 10-year-old kid, I didn't really understand. I just knew we were going to the grocery store. 
But obviously that's exactly what she would do. She would redeem groceries. And that's what you and I do when we go to grocery store. We pay a price and we purchase items and they become ours, right? So Christ redeemed us. He paid the redemptive price. And He redeemed us. He bought us back out of the slave market of sin. And all of this is related to the doctrine of being the mediator between God, and here's God and man. Now, if you're going to be a mediator between God and man, wouldn't it make sense that you need to be the God-man? With me? You can shake your head like this. Amen? Does that not make sense? So the God-man is the only mediator between God and man. Let me give you an interesting, the word mediator is not used a bunch of times in the New Testament. It's used six or seven times, the specific word. But the root word, which is an adjective, but let me give you a word picture. One of the most prominent times the word mediator is used, the, the root word for mediator, he's the mediator, is found in Luke's gospel when Luke describes uh, when Christ died, a lot of things went on, but when Christ died, you remember the veil in the temple was rent, right? Are y'all are y'all with me? You, shake your head, say yeah, something. I, do do something. So, so he says that the veil in the temple was rent, and it says in the middle, from the top to the bottom. But it specifically says in the middle. Now, the word mediator, the biblical definition of a mediator is to stand between two parties. To bring reconciliation. To reconcile people that are against each other. There's animosity or there's a breach. And so to stand between. The word means to stand in between and bring together. So Christ is the only chance anybody in here has to go to heaven where a holy God lives. That's exactly what he's saying. So let's look at our sheets this morning. You got your sheets and hopefully there's a pen near you somewhere. And let's just walk through, uh, and I'll give you the Scripture references. I didn't put the references on here because I felt like all during the song service you'd be looking up the verses to write in the answers. Okay, I'm going to give you the answers. Obviously, the first answer is obvious. Jesus, it says this in Hebrews 12, 24. And these sometimes, well, obviously most of these are portions of a verse, okay, because we didn't have room to, to write the entire verse. Hebrews 12, 24 says, Jesus... The mediator of a new covenant. Now the old covenant was under law, which it still saved. God still fulfilled His promise that through the sacrificial system, He would save the Israelites. We understand that. But now there's a new covenant that's through the grace and the substitutionary death of Christ. And, and it says we're justified not by the works of the law, not by the shedding of bulls and goats, but we're justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? That through faith, Christ, God the Father, justifies us. He looks at us as, as even if we had never sinned. So that's a mediator. We're wicked sinners. God's a holy, righteous, unapproachable, holy, Im, uh, immortal deity. And here we are. And Christ came to bring us together. 
And you can see why, just thinking through that logically, why he can be the only access to God the Father. So number one, Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. In Hebrews 1.3, it says, He, Christ, is the exact imprint of God's nature. So Christ was the Holy Son of God. He was the Lamb without blemish. Um, when Christ was baptized, the, the Father said, This is my beloved. Robbie read a verse that says, We're saved in the beloved. God the Father said publicly, they heard His voice, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And so Christ, even on the cross, we find that He was without sin. He's holy and He's righteous. And so Hebrews 1 is reminding us that when Christ died, He was God in human form, and He was without sin. And He's the exact, everything the Father wants you to know about Himself, Christ is. Christ was. Exactly what God wanted to reveal about Himself. So that's why we want to study what Christ has said and what the apostles have said about Christ. Because He is the exact imprint of God's nature. Um, Hebrews 1 also tells us that he's, and uses the word icon, the image. If you want to know the Father, and I'm talking about spiritually now, if you want to know God the Father, you have to know the Son. So the more intimately we know the Son, the more we understand about the nature of God. So M is for mediator, E is for exact. And you could think, you could probably think of verses right now where you could fill this out yourself. You could do your own mediator acrostic. Jesus, number three. Jesus. Does anybody have that answer? Delivers us, right? You're afraid to answer because it'll be if it's wrong. You know, I don't want you to be embarrassed, but Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come. 1 Thessalonians 1.10. So let me remind you if you're here today, and, and I'm not trying to scare you and I'm not trying to boast that those of us that are Christians have something you don't but we do but it's not because of what we've done it's that God chose to save us through the preaching of the gospel but after after this life there's eternal life there's a there's another life and in that life God's going to pour out his wrath there's a place called hell it's literally true Jesus said it was and is the Bible says people are there now. And so Jesus saves us and He mediates. And part of our privilege is we're saved from the wrath to come. Now, of course, us, just kind of thinking biblically, biblical worldview, if you read 1 Thessalonians, you understand that 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians mention the end of time and this event called the rapture and then what we know, the seven years of tribulation, it does mention those things. So before people, a lot of people end up in hell, they'll go through what is known as the tribulation. And it's where God pours out His wrath on the earth. But now hell is where He pours out His wrath. Totally. Uh, and not only... Do you know what? Do you know hell was made for? Satan and his demons and fallen angels. So you are... You're getting the judgment if you're without Christ. You get the judgment that Satan deserves. So M, you need a mediator. Am I right? 
And by God's grace, He saved you. If you're here today, you have nothing to boast in if you're saved. You just need to praise and thank the Lord Jesus for saving you from your sins. So M is for mediator. E is for exact. D is for He delivers us from the wrath to come. I is for inheritance. Ephesians 1.14 is right past where Robbie finished reading. Sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Who is the guarantee? Isn't that awesome? Word is Erebon, Erebon in the original language. Sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we receive it. So for those of us that, of course we're talking about theologically the church age for 2,000 years, folks have been saved by the grace of Christ, live part of a body. So the promise that we're going to get Everything that he said we're going to get, it's sealed by the Holy Spirit coming to reside within us. And remember, we're doing this on Wednesday nights. We're studying what we call the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We've also talked about the fruit of the Spirit. But we're promised as you have this sealing, God, this mediator, Christ, who saved us at the moment of salvation, He, he seals us with his, the Spirit that that tabernacles inside of us that comes to... He lives in our hearts, so to speak, and, and He's there permanently. And it's a reminder that all the promises He's going to fulfill until we receive it. He's our, our promise. So Christ is our mediator. He's the exact imprint of God's nature. He delivers us from the wrath to come. And He guarantees our inheritance until we receive it. A... This is in 2 Corinthians 5.20. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. Why in the world would we not want to talk about He who has saved us from our sins? You know, um, I was in a grocery store the other day and um, I met uh, somebody from Weaver. And uh, I knew he lived up here, and I've seen him. I, you know, I've lived here for, in Wetumpka for, you know, 25 years, and and so I've seen him two or three times over the course of 25 years. And he lives up near the lake, and he was two or three years younger for, for, than me, and he was in my church, in my home church. And so his name's Ryan. And uh, so when I saw him, we started talking and yakking, and then I saw somebody else that was working as a cashier. And they they have visited here. Okay, I'm not going to mention names. They have visited here, and because uh, so they know me, and so they asked Ryan. So Ryan and I were yakking and acting up and all that, and 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 she says, "Well, let me ask you a question." <laughs> she said, "How did how how did Bryce? <laughs> what kind of reputation did Bryce have when he was in Weaver?" And I immediately stopped her and I said, "Whoa." I said, I didn't get saved till I was 16. You know, I said, so he could tell you some stories, and they may be true, but, but there's a before Christ, right? And there's an after Christ. And folks, what Christ has done for me, He'll do for everybody who will repent and believe in Jesus, right? He did it for you. So why would we not be ambassadors for Christ, right? I mean, I have so... Listen, I have so... And then why don't we obey Him? The simple things He says we need to do because of His saving us 
from our sins. I, I think about He mediated for me and secured my eternal destiny, changed my heart, secured my eternal salvation. Can I not be an ambassador for Him? Can I, can I not speak on His behalf and talk about His kingdom? And can I not obey the laws that He's laid down for me? And can I not encourage my family and friends and those around me to live according to biblical principles because I am an ambassador for Christ. Another A, and I, was, I didn't put this down, another A you could use that's hard not to use here, uh, Jesus said, it is done. I am the Alpha. That would be another A. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus is everything. Amen? He's everything. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. So, M, mediator, E, exact, D, delivers, I, inheritance, A, ambassadors. T, Ephesians 2, 5. We were dead in sin, but now we have been made alive together with Christ by grace. This is why even in Ephesians 1, even in Ephesians 2, it says we're already seated in the heavenlies. Our, so the, it's together. T is for together. Your citizenship, the word politics, Greek word, polite, your citizenship is in heaven. And the reason your citizenship is in heaven is because where's Jesus? Right? Are you not in Him? Right? That's, so He's our mediator. He saved us, but also He's wherever He is, that's where we belong. And so we are citizens of heaven. So you and I have been saved and we're alive together with Christ. Folks, everything that happened to Christ will happen to us. Except, you know, He died in our stead. Paid for the penalty of sin. Was Christ resurrected from the dead? Physically? You, folks, you have, to, you have to believe in the resurrection of the dead. That, so... You know, there's all kind of views of the end times. I, I know that. And the older I get, I still believe and my eschatology is right, and that's okay. Other people believe there. But the one thing you can't get away from is that there's a resurrection. There is a physical resurrection. So if you're in Christ, everything that Christ accomplished, all these things for you, but He was resurrected, you're going to be physically resurrected. And that's a promise that I love to share at graveside. You know, whether it's a, a bowl of a, a container of ashes or a, a casket, that body one day is going to come. Now, we know absent in the body's present Lord, your spirit is eternal. But one day that body's going to be revamped, made new, and given a body called a heavenly body that can exist physically, but yet spiritually, in new heaven and new earth. So it's a literal thing, you know. It's not like you're going to float around on a cloud for millions of years playing a harp. That's what people think. Together. We were dead in sin, but now have been made alive together with Christ. Mediator. Everything that God is, Christ has brought us into relationship with God the Father. We're two away. I love this verse. 
Also found in Romans 5, Romans 5, 19, if you're writing Bible verses down. This sums up the gospel. By the one man's obedience. By the one, O-N-E, one. By the one man's obedience. By the way, who was the one man's disobedience? What man was that? Adam. Folks, the, these are eternal, these are eternal creation, or this is the way it is. The, these are statements that are indicative. This is how it is. Through Adam, in Adam we send all. In Adam's fall, we send all. You are a descendant of Adam. He's your head. He's the first man. We all inherit his sin nature. And so through his disobedience, we're all condemned. And this is why. Paul argues in Romans 8, Romans 5, that there's, and 1 Corinthians 15, there's a last Adam, there's another Adam, there's another man. He's the God-man, right? Who better? To, the only mediator that would save us, could be eternally save us. A God-man. The incarnate, the incarnate God. The song we sing, Love was when God became a man. And that's so true. By the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. By the way, that throws out universalism. Doesn't save everybody, okay? And when in our passage we read in 1 Timothy 2, he does will that everybody be saved, the world. But you're not talking about individuals, you're talking about the world, not just Jews. It, it, he, he came and salvation can be preached to all people, but not all people are going to be saved. If Jesus paid the sin, if He paid the sin debt price for every person, then everybody would be saved. But when they hear the gospel and repent, they will be saved. But if He applied it to everybody, everybody would go to heaven. That's universalism. We don't believe in that. But by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. The last one. You've heard this, and maybe you didn't know this was in the New Testament. What shall a man give in return for his soul? Put another way, what's more important? Is there, is there anything, anything more valuable than the soul of a human being. Well, Jesus proved that that it's extremely valuable because he uh, he died. Ezekiel eighteen says the soul. This is, comes out of Genesis one through three, but Ezekiel eighteen says. The soul that sins will surely die. So, without a mediator, without salvation, without the new birth, there's eternal judgment facing all men. Um, read something this week. I want you to think about this. The Garden of Gethsemane, and we'll we'll finish with this, but. Um, Again, Luke. Luke talks about the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, one of the great places you get to go when you go to Israel. 
and it's going to the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, if you'll remember, Luke records that, and he would do this because he was a doctor, when Christ was in the garden uh, and he was praying, of course we know the disciples twice kept falling asleep. You know, Christ is fixing to be arrested, right? And, um, and of course he knows, I mean, he came to die for sin. He knew this. He, he knew what was going on. So, remember when he sweat, what does it say happened when he was sweating? He sweat drops of blood. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, okay? Luke records that, which, which is important, obviously. But, again, why did God have that recorded? Did, did God have that recorded for Jesus and for Himself, like to have a record of it? No, because He's God. They wouldn't forget it. Why was it written down? Exactly. Because it tells us what it cost Jesus to save us from our sins. He grieved so much over the price of sin. He bore our guilt. He suffered our shame. And it grieved His soul so much, He, he sweated blood. Folks, the cost of sin is high, right? There's an eternal payment. So we can't play games with salvation, can we? How many mediators between God and man? And it's the man, Jesus Christ. Do you know Him as Lord and Savior? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and our hearts are open unto the Lord. And I want you to think now. Heads bowed, eyes closed. There has to be somebody here today that's never been saved. So let me, let me just talk briefly. There's been enough gospel preached. You could be saved right now. But I want to plead with you. You may be looking at people you know claim the name of Jesus, but they live like the devil. Don't look at them. They're called hypocrites. And don't let a hypocrite send your soul to hell. If you're here today and you've never been saved, you must believe in the life, death, burial, resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. You must believe. He is the only God-man. All man, all God died on the cross, not because He deserved to die, but He died in our place. We believe in that gift. And the Bible says we will be born again. You'll have new life. And that's what the Bible means by life in Christ. So I'm pleading with you in a moment we're all going to stand and sing just as I am. I'm begging and pleading with you if you've never been saved. Christ is the only mediator. And there's a high price to pay if you pay for it yourself. But also it's for believers. You know, if we're here today and we really believe this, there is a massive responsibility for us to live what we say we believe. What am I, I going to do now that Christ saved me from my sins? Well, Jesus said, you know, if you love me wherever I am and whatever I'm doing, that's where my servant will be. Folks, if we love him, what he says, we will do. 
For you today, that might mean that you need to rededicate your life. today. It might mean you need to join the church. It might mean whatever. You might need to go to somebody and ask them to pray with you. Whatever that is, however that fleshes out, there's nothing we can do that will outdo what God's already done for us. We just need to obey. Father, move among us now. We pray in Jesus' name. Stand with me. We're going to sing, Just As I Am. You need to come. You come right now. Sing with me. Just as. But that's So I didn't know y'all were coming today. This is fantastic. You doing okay? I know it's intimidating, buddy. God bless your heart. We have pictures, uh, I don't know how to do this, but you have pictures and dying throws them up on the TV. So when the TV's at rest, it's going through all these pictures we have. Oh, hey, baby, you're here. Hey, honey. And one of them was when I baptized Caleb, and I didn't know you had it on there, and brings back a lot of memories. And uh, I say that to say this. Solomon, come on. Come on, come on, and dad. Come on, grandmama. Come on, cousin. Come on, stand with him. Come on, come on, Caleb. Bonnie, you tell them what, what's going on, what y'all been doing. Well, for the last probably six months, we've talked on and off about this, and I think about three or four months ago, Solomon prayed with us at night, um, and he's been a little fearful to come before the church, but we've been praying about that and <laughs> overcoming fear. And, Amen, that's tough. Um, and so he's ready to tell the church, Amen. So we, you know, ask them, ask everybody, you know, about have you repented and believed? It's, you know, it's a lot of people come for weird reasons. But I mean, I know Bonnie and Griff have been talking to him for a long time. But I ask him if he's believed that Christ died for him and saved him from his sins by his faith in him. And he agrees with that. So if you rejoice in Solomon's decision, you say praise the Lord. And what I want you to do in just a few minutes, you can come by and give them the right hand of fellowship. We'll be talking to Solomon about the next big step, which is believer's baptism, right? It's not just baptism. 
That's right. He's believed. Am I right? He's believed. Folks, you don't realize this, but when America was a new, when, before we, the 4th of July, 1776, but in the earlier days of the, the colonies, people died because they believed this. We believe you believe and then you're baptized. So we believe and are baptized just like the book of Acts says. So we'll be talking to Solomon about baptism in the days to come. And, uh, but what I want us to do before we leave, if you physically can, I'm going to invite you to join us at the altar. We want to pray for TJ, Marianne, and Tim. Could you do that? So let's pray. If you can't, that's fine. You stay where you are, but let's stand together. Those of us that can come up here can kneel down. If you want to kneel where you are, that's fine too. And we're just going to have a little prayer, and then we can come by and give Solomon and Bonnie and Griffin the right hand of fellowship and ask God uh, to bless them as well. And we're just going to gather together and pray. And uh, if you have to be near something to push yourself up, that's what I have to do. And so, uh, where's Robbie? I'm going to ask Robbie if you would voice our prayer for us. Okay, I'm just going to ask Robbie to voice. While he prays out loud, you, you can pray.